Welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 35, Spirit of Truth. Thank you so much over the last week for sharing and um, sending episodes to your friends and family. I know it feels, it probably feels like a little thing, but I can see my numbers go up dramatically and I can tell, I can see it when people are sharing because I can see the difference in my numbers in the weeks when I don't ask you guys to share and the weeks that I do. And I just want to remind you that that is missionary work. It is missionary work to bring the gospel into people's weeks. And thank you so much. And it makes me so happy and feel so fulfilled and like all of this is worth it to know that people are hearing what the Lord wants me to say through him. And I just sincerely believe that whoever ends up listening, it was part of their plan for their life that they listen that day, that they hear that, that maybe they needed something that I had to say. So thank you so much. All right, so this week is Doctrine and Covenants section 49 through 50, and I am going to entirely focus on section 50. And this section is largely addressing how we can ensure that we are not deceived, which, as we all can imagine, as we all know, that's a pretty important thing right now. And like a lot of things in the gospel, there is a simple quote, simple answer. But that simple answer isn't always easy to achieve and maintain. Lots of the simple things in the gospel sound simple, like they're these primary answers. But in reality, they're pretty difficult to maintain when we're fighting against our natural man and our natural tendencies to be selfish and to be self-centered. So the Lord asks a very explicit question in section 50. And right before that, he I love how he starts this. He says, let me turn to the page. He says, let us reason even as a man reasoneth with one, one with another face to face. Now, when a man reasoneth, he is understood of man because he reasoneth as a man. Even so will I, the Lord, reason with you that you may understand. So he's saying, I'm going to come down to your level and reason with you the way that you would reason with each other. So he says this, unto what were ye ordained? That is the question he poses to us. And then he gives us the answer to preach my gospel by the spirit, even the comforter, which was sent forth to teach the truth. So there's an interesting qualifier there. Preach my gospel but don't just preach it. You have to have the spirit, preach it by the spirit. We all know that the Lord does not appreciate or consider it a light sin to preach the gospel without the spirit. And we've seen throughout the scriptures, what happens to people who start to preach without the spirit, it becomes infused with their own philosophies and their own motives. And they become easily enticed to do things for their own gain, which is why we see the hypocritical figures throughout the scriptures that begin to use flattering words in order to win the hearts of the people. And earlier in this section, he talks about those who, quote, profess his name, which is to claim that one has a quality or feeling, especially when that is not the case. He then says this about those who do this in verse seven. Behold, verily I say unto you, there are hypocrites among you who have deceived some, which has been, which has given the adversary power, but behold, such shall be reclaimed, but the hypocrites shall be detected and shall be cut off either in life or in death, even as I will. And woe unto them who are cut off from my church for the same are overcome of the world. 
Wherefore, let every man beware, lest he do that which is not in truth and righteousness before me. Okay, so I love that part in seven. The hypocrites have given the adversary power. And then it says, but behold, such shall be reclaimed. I mean, boom, the adversary's power will always, 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 always get canceled out. Let's start with a seemingly simple question. Why does Satan want that power? What is his goal? His goal is to make us miserable like unto himself. Whereas God's goal is the opposite, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. As we learn in Doctrine and Covenants, section 3, verse 1, the works and the designs and the purposes of God cannot be frustrated, neither can they come to naught. So if the works and designs and purposes of God are to bring to pass our immortality and eternal life through our own agency, that goal cannot be frustrated. The only thing that can keep eternal life from happening is our own individual agency, which is a part of his plan. And as we use our agency to allow Satan power over our hearts, that power will be reclaimed by the Lord through his perfect justice. So even, even when we choose to follow Satan and to temporarily give Satan power over our hearts, that power will be reclaimed, which is pretty amazing when you think about the incredible power Satan has over the world right now, incredible, terrifying power. And yet, as soon as the time is right, the whole world will be reclaimed for his purposes. As powerful as Satan is seemingly, he is absolutely nothing compared to the Lord. In fact, all of his power that he has right now is only because the Lord allows it, because it is necessary for our progression. So how do we ensure that we don't become one of those hypocrites that will be cut off? This section gives us some perfect guidance on how to stay close to the Savior. First, let's talk about the power that Satan has and doesn't have. Lawrence R. Peterson said, Satan's power is not unrestrained. Joseph Smith taught that Satan has no power over us unless we give it to him. And Nephi explained that the righteousness of the people deprives Satan of his power. Quote, for he hath no power over the hearts of the people, for they dwell in righteousness. Between the extremes of Satan's power to captivate and of his utter powerlessness stretches the spectrum of his ability to entice or tempt. As a being of spirit, he works in the realm of spirit, counterbalanced by the spirit of God. In this way, free agency is preserved, giving us a choice between good and evil. As Lehi taught, man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by one or the other. If Satan entices us to do evil, so the Holy Spirit entices us to virtue. Free agency demands that neither the Holy Spirit nor the evil spirit have power to control the person against his will. Each of those forces, being spiritual, works directly on the mind of man, or the heart as the scriptures call it, until the individual willfully chooses to obey and ignore the other. Then the balance of power shifts and the person begins to move upward toward eternal life or downward to destruction and misery. A person who has elected baptism and received the gift of the Holy Ghost has shifted the balance greatly in favor, favor of God's influence, whereas a person whose wickedness has caused his conscience to be seared with a hot iron, as Paul says, may have put himself wholly within the realm of Satan's influence. The Spirit of the Lord may cease to strive with such a person. Close quote. So, what do we learn in that? 
we learn that the influence of Satan's power depends entirely upon our own righteousness. He cannot control us unless we give that control over to him. As he talked about in 1 Nephi chapter 22, verse 26, For he hath no power over the hearts of the people, for they dwell in righteousness. I've been thinking about this as I watch frustrated sometimes at my own continual cycle of increased righteousness and then a decline and increased increased righteousness and then a decline. I'll get really into a spiritual groove and then I get caught up in something that's not important or I do poorly in my daily efforts. And I can really feel the lessening influence of the spirit. It's palpable and it weighs on your heart. It reminds me of a line that I know I've talked about before um, in one of my favorite songs called We Must Sing by Rob Gardner. The line that's my favorite in that whole song is, God made our hearts and in his absence they ache. Have you ever felt that ache and emptiness increase when his spirit is withdrawn because of choices that you have made? And the closer I get to the spirit, the more consistently I'm making righteous choices the more my heart and spirit notices the difference when I'm not. And on the other end of the spectrum, that's why I think desensitization, I've restarted this three times, (laughs) this sentence, because I can't say this word, which is why I think desensitization happens. When we are away from the spirit too long, we notice the difference less. And that is a scary, slippery slope. Is that why Satan cannot have power over us if we dwell in righteousness? The more our lives exist in righteousness, the more the gospel becomes delicious to us, the more we are filled with living water, the more we see Satan's lies for what they truly are. Pathetic, empty, cheap imitations of happiness that aren't even appealing to us because we know what it feels like to be filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Savior taught this principle to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. If we drink the water Satan is offering us, we will thirst again. There will be a whole always needing to be filled, never satisfied for long, easily enticed to travel farther and farther for more of this short-lived water, led along a path leading to misery and dissatisfaction, a path that leads to nowhere and to the opposite of progression. But if we drink from the living water the Savior is offering us, we are promised we shall never thirst. And I love that he gives us additional detail. He doesn't just say, water and you'll never thirst. It is called living water because we all can have a well of water springing up into everlasting life in us. It is continuous. It does not leave us. We can leave it, but it does not leave us. Think about that literally. If you physically didn't have to drink water, but you had a well of water somehow within your body that was self-sufficient in providing your body with water, you would never thirst. It would be like your blood, for instance. Did you know that your body makes about 2 million new red blood cells every second? So somehow, biologically, I don't understand it, we continue to make new blood. So what if your body could do that 
with water. What if you never needed to drink? You would never thirst. You would never have to get water again. If we are laying hold continually on the word of God, we have continual access to that living water. We don't have to chase it. We don't have to find the next thing to fill our souls. It will always be there. And when our souls are purified in this way, is it any wonder that Satan can't have power over someone like that? Now, as we talk about every week, we are all human. We all make mistakes. We are not going to be perfect all the time. So where my mind is going when I, when I listen to myself say all these things, if I'm still letting Satan have power over me in any way, I guess I'm not doing that well. But then I'm reminded of verse 36 in this section. It says, And behold, verily I say unto you, Blessed are you who are now hearing these words of mine from the mouth of mine servant, and your sins are forgiven you. I am given hope every week when I, t- when I talk about the dedication that we need to have. I am given hope through the atonement. And that's why his plan is so perfect. Sometimes I really stink. I mess up. And the closer I feel to God, the more it hurts when I feel myself drifting, when I see myself making choices or having thoughts that I know are not from God. But guys, the atonement, it is the great reset. In Jacob 6, verse 4, it says, And how merciful is our God unto us, for he remembereth the house of Israel, both roots and branches, and he stretches forth his hands unto them all the day long. All we have to do in order to qualify for the continual companionship of the Holy Ghost is reach out, keep repenting, and his hand is always there waiting for us to take hold. We repent. We try again. We are again instantly given a measure of protection from the adversary, and how strong and complete that protection is all depends on us. Isn't it so comforting to know that that possibility is out there? And that the more righteous we become, the stronger that protection is. I think that's why the Lord promises that if we build on him, we cannot fall. How could such a perfect promise be made if it were not true? It is true because all of his promises will be fulfilled. And the stronger we make that connection with him, the closer we get to qualifying for that perfect protection. President Nelson warns us, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost, which means that the opposite is true. You will survive spiritually if you have the guiding, directing, and comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. And we qualify to have the Holy Ghost, not by being perfect now, but by really trying every day. By not hypocritically professing his name and then turning our backs on him and our thoughts and our actions, but by improving and learning and growing and repenting. So let's go back to the Lord's original question. He says, unto what were ye ordained? Continuing in verse 14, to preach my gospel by the spirit, even the comforter, which was sent forth to teach the truth. And then received ye spirits, which ye could not understand and received them to be of God. And in this are ye justified? Behold, ye shall answer this question yourselves. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto you. He that is weak among you hereafter shall be made strong. So he emphasizes his mercy here. He forgives them. He doesn't say that they didn't do anything wrong. He says, in this are ye justified? No, but he forgives them. And he gives them an amazing promise that I think that we 
can all cling on to with immense hope as we think of our own weaknesses. He says, He that is weak among you hereafter shall be made strong. We talked about gifts of the Spirit last week. So if we ask in humility, with sincerity and a pure heart, for gifts that will turn our weaknesses into strength, it will be given to us. Now listen to the ways that the Lord gives us to discern if things are from him or from the devil. Verse 17, Verily I say unto you, He that is ordained of me and sent forth to preach the word of truth by the Comforter, in the Spirit of truth, doth he preach it by the Spirit of truth or in some other way? The Holy Ghost testifies of truth, and it is through his power that we may know the truth of all things. Are we listening and allowing our minds to be led away by anything that does not align with the truth that has been revealed to us through the scriptures and our living prophets? It is an important self-evaluation to make. What do you find yourself believing? Is it rooted in absolute truth revealed by God? Or is it rooted in the moral relativity of the world? Because in verse 18 it continues, And if it be by some other way, it is not of God. If it doesn't edify, if it doesn't contain light, if it contradicts absolute truth, if the Spirit cannot bear witness to it, it is not of God. And if it is not of God, it is from the devil. Period. End of story. You know somewhere I've noticed this? We have these Instagram evangelists, as I've heard them called, like, for instance, Brene Brown. And I'm not saying Brene Brown is bad. I have read lots of her things that I think are really sound advice and um, things that are probably are good ways to follow and live your life. But I've also seen things from her that contradict the gospel, that are more about self-fulfillment and self-gratification. Can we be fulfilled through ourselves? No. We can only be fulfilled through the Savior, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you'll see little contradictions. And I'm not just trying to poke at Brene Brown, but she's just who came to my mind. Be careful as you listen to people like that, because there's a lot of truth interwoven with, I think, some lies from Satan. And so it's important that you always keep the gospel in mind, that you make sure that your primary companion is the Holy Ghost so that you'll recognize those problems, those philosophies of men when you hear them. All right, let's continue with verse 19. And again, he that receiveth the word of truth, doth he receive it by the spirit of truth or some other way? And if it be some other way, it is not of God. Therefore, why is it that ye cannot understand and know that he that receiveth the word by the Spirit of truth receiveth it as it is preached by the Spirit of truth? Wherefore, he that preacheth and he that receiveth understand one another and are both edified and rejoice together. Have you ever felt that feeling? You're in a Relief Society room or or in Young Women's or wherever you happen to be or in a sacrament meeting? And you can feel that you are all being uplifted, the teacher and the listener. I know I felt it before. Complete truth. We all have the light of Christ. We can all live worthy of the influence of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost testifies of truth. It's a feeling 
that's hard to explain, especially to people who don't understand it. It's kind of like trying to explain faith to someone who doesn't have faith. You can just feel it. You can feel it when a whole room is seeming to buzz with that spirit. It's why when I'm listening to someone speak truth, there is a deeper, tangible feeling in my heart that something sacred is being spoken. Verse 23, And that which does not edify is not of God and is darkness. Is what you're hearing, does it instruct and improve you? That doesn't mean that things coming from God are always going to feel comfortable. As we read in the Book of Mormon, we read that the wicked taketh the truth to be hard. It cuts them to the very center. And the antagonists in the Book of Mormon flatter the hearts of the people, meaning that they tell them what they want to hear. So just because it's comfortable to hear doesn't mean that it is truth. doesn't mean that it's instructing you or improving you. Is what you are hearing, reading, watching, improving you, making you more like him? Verse 24, that which is of God is light, and he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light. And that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. That's more of that increased protection from the adversary. Your light grows brighter and brighter. We receive light, and darkness cannot exist with light. Verse 25, And again, verily I say unto you, and I say it that ye may know the truth, that ye may chase darkness from among you. How will that darkness be chased from among us? I'm going to say that verse, verse 24 again. That which is of God is light, and he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light. And that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. I bear my testimony to you that the Holy Ghost is here to bear witness of truth. And I know that if done with a sincere heart and a humble heart, if we ask for the ability to discern what things in the world are being used to fool us, even when flattering words, the lure of social acceptability and comfort tempt us, that we will not only be able to clearly see the difference, but we will have the strength and integrity and the light to compassionately stand in holy places and be not moved. And I say these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.